It is the 21st century. There are too many video games. But out there, it's waiting. The best video game you've never played. Hello and welcome to The Best Video Game You've Never Played, the podcast where I, stand-up and improv comedian Lewis Dunn, take on the suggestions from my guests of a great video game that I have never played. I then play it for a week before getting my guest back online to have a chat and to discuss whether or not they have found the hidden holy grail of video games, or whether or not they have found the crap old cup of video games. This week's guest is Luke Malkin. Uh, Luke is uh, a very interesting guy. He uh, is, in fact, teaching uh, English in Bolivia right now. And so uh, I asked him onto the show because I feel he could bring on uh, something truly interesting that I'd never played before. I say I should bring him on. He got in contact with me and said, boy, do I have a video game for you. So that absolutely intrigued me. And I thought, you know what? Let's do it. He's keen. He's got something. He wants to chat about it. Let's play the game. And I've got to tell you guys... uh, I had never heard of this video game before. I didn't even know it existed. I don't know anyone who's ever played this video game. So when he suggested it to me and I had a look at what it was, I thought this is going to be, at the very least, an interesting discussion. So put on your finest robe, grab your scepter and your orb, and sit down upon your plushest throne as we talk to Luke Malkin. Hello, Luke. How are you? Hey, Lewis. It's nice to see you. I'm doing really well. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you for coming on this podcast. I understand that right now, uh, you, you and I, this is the first, uh, I believe, international podcast I've actually done. You're the first guest who is currently not in the UK. Transatlantic, other hemisphere, other continent. You've gone global. You, yes, absolutely. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully the listening numbers will eventually reflect that. But at least in this case, I know I've got at least one listener in another country, which is good to know. Um, so, Luke, uh, you should probably tell everybody listening what game it is that you've brought along. Right, Lewis, thank you for br- letting me bring this game called Long Live the Queen for your, for your consideration. Long Live the Queen is, the best way I can describe it is, did you ever read those Choose Your Own Ending stories as a kid? Yes, I did. I used to love Goosebumps had a, a series of those. And I used they to love did. Those. They, they were good. Um, this is the video game equivalent of that. So I came to find this game because I, I like games with unique themes and unique settings. Ones that you haven't seen before for two reasons. One, because, okay, you're given a gun, first person shooter, run around is fun, but then I'm not really enticed to buying another one in the series so often. And also, I've always been a little bit behind on the computer specs than all of my friends. So games that don't involve a lot of minimum uh, minimum requirements uh, for your for your PC or for or for anything else work. So Long Live the Queen sorts me out very nicely. You play the tutor of uh, she's fourteen years old. Um, Elodie. Elodie is set to be the queen of the Nova region, which is your nice fictional fantasy uh, region of of this of this fake world, full of magic, full of all sorts of uh, nonsense, really, but fun nonsense. <laughs> um, and it's your job to train up the queen because she knows nothing and can't make decisions for herself. Mm. 
and get her to survive until her coronation, one year from when the game starts. So she's got a whole bunch of things that you can teach her because she's an empty vacuum of a person. And no skills. <laughs> she is tabula rasa. Yeah. <laughs> no, nothing. Uh, she doesn't know how to flatter people. She knows nothing about the history of her own kingdom. She knows nothing about intrigue, nothing about horses, nothing about pole arms, e- economics. Doesn't know all. <laughs> none, knows nothing. Some of which you'd expect, and some of which, like, really get on with it. Uh, so it's your job to train her up and keep her alive. And that is not easy, given how many people are just trying to kill this queen. Yes, yeah. There's a lot of motivations, both uh, local and international, that threaten uh, the the main character in this game. Uh, it's, I mean, you said it's a choose your own adventure book, but there, it's a choose your own adventure with a slight. I'm gonna say it's a mechanic at this stage, mm-hmm. where when you say you are training the queen in different things. So normally in a choose your own adventure book you would be presented with you would read something and then you'd be presented with options based on the thing you've just been told this is a game in which the choices you make are the vague hope that by academically improving their history that might be relevant in a future choice that you have no context to assume is coming so your tone of voice says i've got my work cut out on selling this game (laughs) but i am taking this challenge on it's a great game and yeah, okay. it's wonderful. <laughs> I think something something you've admitted to mention, which I think is important as well, is that part of the decisions you make for this character include her tutorage, but they also include what she does in her free time, which oh, affects yes. her mood. And what her mood is will affect how well she can learn certain things. So she's there's eight different emotions she can be feeling uh, at any given week. She feels them for an entire week. Um, and she's so and easily swayed like from being... one sorry she she is she's incredibly easily swayed playing with her toys could make her depressed which is very confusing um yeah she can feel up to eight emotions these include things like yielding willful angry depressed afraid and you might be thinking well the obvious thing to do here is to make her feel all the positive emotions no but actually no you are often often better served just making her feel the appropriate emotion for whatever skill you're trying to train her in so it's quite one thing i want to make clear is the emotions aren't about looking after her welfare her emotions are also still about her tutorage that's correct i mean her survival uh takes priority over her mental health yeah absolutely absolutely sometimes you really need a depressed a depressed little girl to be good with horses that's true because if you want if you want this kid to be able to <laughs> to be able to look after falcons, horses, or dogs, which are your three animal welfare options, animal husbandry options, uh, animal handling. Yeah. Sorry, I was going into civilization for a second there. Uh, animal handling <laughs> uh, options. Um, you need her to be depressed, so you should go and send her to the tomb of her mother uh, to to kind of reduce yeah. certain cheerful aspects of her character, so she can really get on with those horses a lot more effectively than she would otherwise. So yeah, so I think I think as well one thing we should make clear from this point onwards is. The level of interaction you have with this game is the selection of options. There is no there's there's no actual interactivity beyond menu choices. Correct. So Im- immediately this is this is going to be something that I'm going to flag up and say I criticized on a previous episode, last week's episode in fact, the Red Strings Club for essentially being something that you could turn into a book 
if you removed certain interactive elements. This you could turn into a book because it's a book. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you can, but you can also enjoy it as a video game visual medium where you're in it, it's it doesn't that doesn't take away from the game just because it could be a book, right? I well, I would argue it does because I play video games for the interactive elements. I I largely play video games because they allow me to do something in them or they keep me engaged in a way that other mediums don't. So I, for example, I'm not a huge reader. I don't read many books because I find it very hard to stay focused on a book just because of the way my attention span works. So I'm going to admit to you now, I struggled to give this game my attention <laughs> at points because a lot of it is just reading, which is fine. There's, there's lots of video games that are just reading. But then once the reading is over, you select either one of like a very small menu of options in terms of like immediate interaction with people or an enormous unknowable list of options in which you are trying to guess what the future might be. Yes, and so part of the real enjoyment of Long Live the Queen is a certain Stockholm Syndrome that the game presents <laughs> to you. So you kind of also become just uh, a pawn in an, a story that you can never know what... Like the first time you play it, you end up with this whole sense of despair in the sense that you're, you're, you're failing so many skill checks, basically, because there's so many things that she can learn and there's no way you can pass even half of the skill checks to get to any of the endings. Um, yeah, there's there's an unpredictable falconry check that comes out of nowhere and, and as far as I can tell, is never useful again. There's no point in training yourself in falconry, but there's one instance where you need it. I can think of three times when the falconry is useful yeah i mean there's a lot of variation i will say this for the game like it's there's certain bits there's also hidden skill checks you don't know what's going on behind so <laughs> it gives you this sense of depression in the sense that when when you're reading it just goes you failed a flattery skill check you failed a composure skill check um mm. and you'll pass like one in one in five uh, skill checks as they go on but there's also ones happening in the background so when you go and play it again you'll have just made some different decisions and suddenly a whole new path would have opened up that you didn't know was there and yes I'm sure now games exist that have uh, many other ways of, of playing them when you can really develop the personality of your individual character but this game gets around that by saying you're developing the character of somebody else to a certain extent it's it's quite simple for me, yeah. I always see it as kind of, I am Elodie, but I'm enough separated from her. Yes, because you, you created this story about how you are, you are her tutor and you're determining the classes she goes to. But you do also make decisions as her. You are not a third party in this. Uh, she, is, she is a character who you have to actively play as because you have to make on-the-spot decisions, as it were. You have to react to certain events. So you, you are, largely are playing as Elodie but also the level of control you have over her. I mean, I, I admire the fact the game, as you say, there's, there's hidden workings underneath all of this that you don't get to know. Like, you, you don't necessarily know how happy your, uh, your subjects are with you. You don't necessarily know how happy the uh, people around you are in terms of the inner court of the castle or, or foreign powers. But also, there's a the, like as you say these things are hidden in the background. They're just another decision that you don't know the consequence of. They're not like 
this is not a sim game. This is not a game in which, you know, by being good at the mechanics, you can learn and come back better. The only way you are getting through this game successfully is either trial and error or doing what I did eventually and getting a guide so you can see the ending. Oh, absolutely. But then there's, as I say, like you have to let this game, this game will break you if you let it. And then <laughs> you will sort of, I think you said you, you played it for how many hours this week? About three or four. So I played it I, for I a played... lot more than that. because, And that's probably a defect Why? of my own personality. <laughs> um, I don't know, because I, I recently, I re-downloaded it because I knew I was going to talk to you about this. This game came out years and years and years ago. Sure. Um, and I think... Yes, it Steam's... came out in 2012. Oh, it's 2012. Okay, so I, I'm pretty sure I've logged close to 100 hours on this game, and that's ridiculous. But they've been... It is. ...torturous hours that I've come out the other side of just still promoting this game for some reason. There's there's not 100 hours of content here. Yeah, there is. There have, no, no, no. There's 100 <laughs> hours of not finding all of the content. That's there's 100 <laughs> hours of... There's 99 hours of brick wall. If you got all of the text in this game and just read it and just read all of the outcomes, it can't, it is not a hundred hours worth of text, which brings me on to one of the biggest problems I have with this game, which is I did an initial playthrough and I will, I'll admit I wasn't hot on it. And I went, this is a choose your own adventure book. It's not much of a video game. But then I went, okay, obviously the thing that's fun about this game is that you, you try again and you pick different options and you train yourself with different skills and see what happens. And then I proceeded to get further than I did last time, largely because I just didn't pick the option that killed me the first time. Right. And I got a bit further into the story and then died for a different reason. Mm -hmm. And then it dawned on me that every single time I tried to play this game again, I just had to skip through all of the stuff I already knew. And it was absolutely infuriating that large chunks of my gameplay time were just skip dialogue select these lessons done skip dialogue select that activity skip dialogue now pick lessons because the game doesn't change unless you make significant choices and the branching paths on significant choices do not alter most of what you read they do actually. You just have to. You you you've got to be aware of these secret skill checks going on in the background. It's a little bigger than you're saying. Now it's not the biggest thing in the world. But if you want to go and find all of the different options, it's quite cool. The first time you you finally beat the game, you finally don't yeah. die by these chaotic random elements that you should have prepared for by being better at archery or being better <laughs> at poison knowledge or or all sorts. Um, sure. And 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 it. And, and you get to this, yeah, it, it, it attacks the the perfectionist in you because you want to play the game well. You want to do it um, in a successful way, but there isn't. You can't do it. It's an exercise in futility. But you, there's but there's a certain amount of nobility, and <laughs> I'm using that word as a deliberate <laughs> pun, um, uh, to to bringing yourself to trying to 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 beat this game. So I. I, I try and reverse engineer it after a while. It's kind of like, oh, this is going on, this is going on. It talks to the chaotic element of me, and it talks to the perfectionist element of me. And it talks, <laughs> I mean, I'm a teacher in real life. It talks to the tutor in me. Yeah. So it kind of pushes just the right buttons in my personality to make me not want to just turn off the game and think it's stupid. 
Okay, so that look, I, I, I am not on this podcast to convince you that you don't like this game. That's I'm obviously on, I'm, not but I'm on the podcast going. to convince you that you should like this game. So which buttons, which buttons, let me, okay, let me try and position my attack to what do you want sure. in a video game? And I've got to try and say how long live the queen. This basically choose your own adventure game is going to push those buttons. Let's do it. Okay, so here's, here's what I'll give you. And then in terms of this type of game, the types of games that I have liked that are similar to this game, I won't even say they're the same, are probably things like Telltale games where you interact with characters and you make choices and then those choices can have consequences later or they don't have consequences later or they're illusionary and you don't know which choices do or don't have consequences, which is something that I, a lot of people criticise that type of game for, but it's something that I think so long as you don't ruin it for yourself. You know, it's like it's like watching a magic show. Don't ruin how the magic trick's done. Mm-hmm. Just admire the trick. I feel like with the thing that makes me like those games, though, is that they are often written with very compelling plots and very compelling characters, which is something I feel long live the queen sorely lacks. I was not interested in the world of Nova. I was not interested in the court and around me. And I was not interested in any of the like the world building that's done in this game is pretty like you said at the start you like playing games that have unusual settings and i'll give you playing as a queen that has to make decisions there are some games along the same lines but there's nothing quite like i can't easily point something that's like this is a better version of long live the queen Mm -hmm. but what i can say is i thought this was an incredibly generic setup it's a very generic kingdom with very like tropes you've seen a hundred times in other similar fiction all of it not helped by the fact that the graphics are jpegs that are just still jpegs and the sound is an endless loop that doesn't change oh my god that's part of the torture yeah the sound (laughs) um so you turn on you turn on this game and it just has maybe 10 seconds of audio before it loops yeah, and and it's yeah about it's, that, and it's got it's God Save the Queen, but um, but an instrumental version with no real layered audio behind it. It's it's just no. um, it's a MIDI file. It's it, and so it just like it's part of, it's part of the torture mechanic. I think I really have just <laughs> played this game as yeah as some kind of prisoner to it. <laughs> I really don't. This is the thing, I've only played three to four hours of it, and had I played through it once and died once, like I, w- I would not have bought this game for myself off the back of looking at it anyway. <laughs> and having played it, I would not have played it for as long if it wasn't for this podcast. I will say... It has to be said, I will say it's got this the, game scratches no itches for me. <laughs> I will say it's got one of the better... Um, I, I mean, I think this could be frighteningly obvious that you've played a lot more video games than me. But I'm still going to keep my own case going on here. It's got one of the better Steam trailers that I've ever seen. Yeah, well, the Steam trailer missold it to me. And I'm going to... This is something that I feel is a point of attack for Long Live the Queen for me. Which is that the Steam trailer made me think it was going to be... Fun. ...quite satirical and quite comedic. And it's not absent of comedy. There are certain things about the game you can find, like, quite amusing. Certainly, like, the, the blitheness of your character can be quite funny in the face of actual threats. Or, like, some of the checks are amusingly bizarre or amusingly unpredictable. So there's a certain joy to the idea of, like I said, there's no way you knew falconry was going to become relevant. And then when you fail a check for falconry, there's a certain joy to the idea of, like, well, how on earth was I going to know that was going to bloody come up? I yeah, I find that fine. fun. 
But the game, it made me think it was going to be very, very, like, actively comedic. And it's not. It's largely a fantasy story. It's chaotic humour. Um, and you, as you're saying, yes, it, 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 for me, it slides in between being too stereotypical of kind of, oh, this is just a mystical world and there are witches in this world, but they're called Lumen in this world. And there's a bunch of unrest and there's people who are going to come and fly from outside and there's just enough craziness going on I, that's where the humor for me comes from like the idea that you can there's a cruelty mechanic going on in the background so if you choose to do mm. evil actions which you can like push the maid over or kill a, a, a rabbling like when the peasants revolt against you you can put them down with magic and that kind of thing um, and you're sure. all the while gathering a cruelty element and then you can just play with your toys on the weekend I, I quite like that. The <laughs> idea that you can win a war, like destroy people, you've lo- lost loads of casualties on your side. It's just like, oh, what, what should you do for the weekend? Go visit the dungeons and poke people. It's, it's, it's got a wonderful, that juxtaposition of nonsense is where I find the comedy. I don't necessarily think, I don't know to what extent the game is self-aware there. Like the, exa- the example you give of there's a cruelty mechanic that you, the player, aren't aware is being a thing that's being tabulated, which, fine, okay, the game has hidden uh, trackers on you. That's obviously something that is part of the way it's built. But you don't necessarily know how cruel the game thinks you are, so you don't necessarily know how funny it is that you get to go play with your toys. And the game isn't playing up to that it's not pointing out that you playing with your toys is an amusing contrast into what you should be doing it's presenting you with the play with your toys option because no matter what you do you are presented with the play with your toys option so i mean much correct as, much Absolutely. as i acknowledge that like you're making a joke out of it the game isn't the game isn't trying to make that happen but the game succeeded and i'll take it either way i'm no the the game didn't try. The game didn't do anything but to it succeeded. achieve that. You, you built that out of your head. So I'm happy for the video game experience to be something that I'm able to... Like, it's elicited that from me. Yes, it was random uh, that those two <laughs> things come next to each other. But if enjoyment has happened, like, I know it wasn't the intention of the game, but the effect was the effect. I'll, I'll take it. That's... Okay. It might be happenstance, but it still worked, right? I mean, I mean but, this, but this then becomes the point of are we critiquing... Are we critiquing a video game that's been made and developed and that we're looking at? Or are you just telling me funny things that you've found? <laughs> I mean, like... uh, yes, you, you're right. You, you could take a very purist <laughs> point of view of going, uh, quite an objective point of view of going, this is a good game because of X, Y, and Z. I'm only going to be able to tell you my, and the only case I could make for Long Live the Queen being a good game, because objectively <laughs> I'm dead in the water. The only case I can make <laughs> is to say my subjective experience of this game has been one that I've enjoyed, question mark, with, <laughs> because, I, because, okay, you were saying about these things going on in the background of things you don't know what's going on. How are you supposed to know these things are going on? I'm pretty sure this game started out as an idea of we're going to do kind of, you can do this, this, or this, and it might be nice to have all this freedom. And this was, this is a game that's, you said it was 2012? Nine years old. Yeah. Um, and this is the precursor to the Telltale games, which are nicely written, but they came out all after this, right? Like, the Telltale games, are play, they played the Game of Thrones one, I thought I was mean, really good, and uh, the Walking Dead I one, mean, I thought look, was really good. Telltale games are a variation on adventure games, which have existed long before this game there's certainly there are other choose your own adventure style video games that exist that are or i would argue infinitely better in terms of their content i mean look 
yeah, this is a video game you could make in PowerPoint. If you were really dedicated in PowerPoint, you could just, you could create the illusion of this video game very easily because it's the selection of options and the tracking of numbers. And so long as a link leads to a certain slide, that's all it really needs to do. Like this is, this is basically video game design at its most basic. It does not get more straightforward than this type of video game when it comes to coding. And it's, it's something that, you know, you pointed out, it's like a choose-your-own-adventure book. There's slightly more to it than a choose-your-own-adventure book because there's at least three types of stats being tracked. But arguably, this game is recreatable with pencil and paper and is not... And so so if we're going, okay, the mechanics are really basic and simple. You know, you can, make, you can play chess with pebbles if you're just good at remembering which pebble is which piece. It then has to layer on top of it. It then has to bring something to that idea that is stronger than its mechanics. And what it brings is still JPEGs, endless looping sound, and a pretty generic storyline with a sense of humour that can only be determined by the player deliberately interpreting it to be a sense of humour, whereas the game itself doesn't necessarily actually have that sense of humour. So what you're left with is is basically a big pile of generic text, a stat tracking system that's about as interactive as a calculator. Uh, less interactive than a calculator. You can you can tell a calculator what you want it to do. You can't tell the stats what you want them to do in this game. So, and yeah, you've got to learn to surrender a little bit of control to the chaos. That's that's where this game is nicely in the balance. You have, but actually you don't, because if you just sit down and write every check that's coming up. You can just, you can, because I beat this, I eventually I decided I'm going to have to get a guide to get to the end of this game so I can at least like have a successful run. And it was just a case of that option, that option go, that option, that option go. And there's no nuance to your decisions. There's no way, there's no logical puzzle you're going to solve that will make you better later on. If this was a game where, like I said, if it was like a sim game, if you were a queen in charge of a kingdom and you had to keep an eye on certain factors and plan around them, that's a game. That requires thought on the part of the player. You have just as much chance of beating this game if you are a random number machine as you do as a player. There is no skill into beating God Save the Queen other than, not sorry, um, Long Live the Queen. That's the title theme getting in my head every time I talk about this game. <laughs> it's only got like four different music files as well, right? Yeah, the infinite number of monkeys that can beat this video game, you're one of them. Oh like... yeah, that's a really good way of putting it, actually. I, I, like, I, I feel I have to regress into a, a lesser human. <laughs> but it's nice to just surrender that sometimes and just go, yeah, you know what, I'm just going to plow away at the chaos and just accept that things are out of my control because I'm not in the world. I'm in the world of Nova and I've got to abide by Nova's rules here. But, the, but, the, but Nova has no rules. That's the point I'm making. Is if, if, there was, if there were rules to this game, if there was a way to deduce what was going to happen to you or a way to prioritise things, like if you, there's, there's like a very small moment in the game where they go like, a ball's coming up. So I went, great, I need to train my character in dancing. So I did. <laughs> and they passed the dancing check. And I was like, great, fabulous. The dancing check got passed. I got pre-warning of that and I trained for it. I then failed a decorum check. I failed a magic test check. I failed a like, manners check. And I'm like, oh, I couldn't have trained for all of those. And I had no idea of knowing which one was the most important. Oh, that's the beauty of it, though, because it tells you with like kind of one or two weeks 
So, like, uh, this this game takes place over 40 weeks. You get to choose yeah. 40 times which classes go, and you can do two classes per week. And as we said, like, how good your mood is means it'll uh, affect how effective your class is, and you skill up, basically, between zero, zero to 100. And, yeah, so you're talking yeah. about a ball that happens in kind of week 16 or something, which is the first kind of big event that happens whether you want it to or not. And you're going to fail a bunch of these tests. And, and the thing is, it only tells you that that ball's coming up when it's too late to really prepare for it. <laughs> it's way too late. And this is not the only time where this happens in the game. Like, it's like, oh, there's, there's a naval attack coming. It's like, how should I have known about that? Well, I'll tell you what, if you were better at falconry, you would have known that a feather falling around in the gardens like eight weeks previously would set off a skill check in the background that says, ooh, maybe there's, maybe there's trouble coming or if your divination skill was higher it's mm. it's it's weird so like if you're following what it says you are you are set to you're you're set to lose uh, quite a lot and this is what I'm, this is what i'm talking about the hooks that keep you going and yes i i believe this game should i don't believe this game really can be beaten without the guide unless you're willing to plow even more hours than i've plowed into it because at a certain point you're just yeah. going okay i'm going to play it again and this time i'm really going to focus on economics which you should by the way um and go from economics from the very beginning because it's just coming up in the first half of the game a lot and I should do that and then you can you can write things down and the game even has a log option so when you go it's kind of like save my sure. log to the thing and then you will go on a guide but then don't read the entire guide because you'll spoil it for yourself just give yourself enough of a hint to go oh that's possible oh. and the game hints at it because it's gonna it has a checklist of things that you can do within the game and there's quite a variety of stuff that you can have a go at um, but you'll go back to sure. save files at certain parts of the game where you've done all right up to that point. But sometimes it's like, oh, scrap this. Let's go over all over again. Let's try and be a perfectionist. Let's be really good at medicine this time. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I get the point you're making, but what is the reward for doing all this? What Survival. do you get out of the game? Survival, sure. But you just get more pretty generic queen story what do you get out of any video game it doesn't have any real world consequence no no no. but let's look at this as a story let's look at this get like it's a choose your own adventure book i've made the point that you could just turn this into a book if this was a book it's a pretty lousy book like it's not a particularly interesting concept and there's no massive subversion on the story there's no there's no thing in long live the queen that I can point to and say that's a really cool and interesting thing that this story is about. Like I can point to lots of video game stories like Bioshock is about something, there's a big thing, there's a big reason Bioshock is the game that it is. You know, the Telltale games, you know, if you play the Walking Dead Telltale games, those are stories about morality and stories about, uh, you know, people surviving and what does it mean to survive and to what extent is survival better than a good death and those sort of things, big literary concepts. Long Live the Queen has nothing to offer me in terms of a in terms of a good story. It's it's just mostly survival. In terms of the actual outcomes of these story paths, you either find a different way to die, which can be amusing. I died once because I ate poisoned chocolate. Mm-hmm. I had no way to know it was poison. You should have studied I, poisons. There's literally a thing called I should have poisons. studied poisons. Or dogs, apparently. Or dogs, because the dog but would have I sniffed also, it and said that it was... Said, yeah, I, know I had no about. way to know. I, I, I didn't have an option to not eat the chocolate because I hadn't studied these things. So off I went and scoffed the chocolate. Um, 
But uh, but also you don't find out who poisoned you if you scoff the chocolate. There's no reveal. There's no aha. That's what was going on because your character dies, so you remain ignorant. But there's nothing in this story that's like unusual or interesting to this kind of generic fantasy story. You haven't sacrificed yourself to the Kraken, I can tell. I mean, I put I put the Kraken away. I did the spell to lock up the Kraken. You didn't but sacrifice again, yourself, like... did you? You could have you could have no. nobly fallen on your sword and, and thought about what it actually means to be a protector to your realm. But you didn't do that. But that's but that's not an interesting theme. That's just that's just a way to choose to die. Like if I played through the whole game and got to that decision again and then chose sacrifice myself to the Kraken. It's instant death. I reckon I get <laughs> instant yeah, death. Yeah, I reckon I get two two paragraphs worth of extra text you don't so my you don't even get two is... paragraphs it just goes to, it just goes straight to you beneath. like thanks for thanks for sacrificing yourself to the so yeah, this is this is my question that i'm asking you which is what is your reward for your persistence other than maybe three or four more sentences of pretty generic story how many times have i laughed during talking about this game a lot versus uh, let's take another game that I love uh, I'm playing Resident Evil 5 a lot at the moment and I adore it it's great okay. but I don't laugh when I'm talking about Resident Evil 5 it's a totally different video game experience that's about go. I'm playing Mercenaries a lot so it's how can you how effectively yeah. can you go around this level can you effectively pull off the right headshots and melee attacks and keep an eye on your capacity and your time and your combos and all sorts and that's great I love it um, and that's sure. fun when I'm playing with somebody else and I'm talking about my score to somebody else who's played it. I can talk to somebody about Long Live the Queen and its stupidity or even play it with somebody else. And it's it's fun. It's, it's a chaotic version of fun, which makes it just a nice addition to the video game umbrella that I've experienced in my life. And anyone can play it because it's so easy to download. It's I don't know how much it was on Steam. I hope it was cheap. Oh, you don't seem well, like you've enjoyed no. it. We'll get to how much this game normally costs. I got very lucky because there was a Steam sale that that put it at a very cheap price. But the the price of this game is an absolute. How much did like, you pay for it? So I I ended up only paying just over two pound for it. I think I paid about two pound sixty for it. Mm. But this game normally is eight pounds. I think I paid about £8 for it. The absolute cheek of charging £8 for this game it's of its is time, insane. Mate. I think the only... Well, it, well, no, here we are in 2021. It's £8. It should have come down it's by It's £8 now. Yeah. right now. No, it's not because you bought it for 2 or £2.60 or something. Yeah, yeah, to in make a special sound. sale. It's now back to £8. <laughs> I mean, w once they listen to this podcast and realise that it's going to be popular again, they might do another flash sale because that's, that's how the industry works, right? If this game was free, I would understand why you like it. The fact that this game is £8. I have paid £8 for a pack of about 100 JPEGs, two songs, about 10 seconds long each, and just a lot of very, like, standard text. Like, this is the thing. I, I don't understand how you can replay this over and over and over to the extent that you have, because so much of the content is the same every time you replay it. You know what the worst like thing so is? so much... Go on. When I went back to play this game just to remember what it was, because I originally played it years ago, um, I I didn't know if I'd beat it or not. I didn't know <laughs> if I'd actually got to the end or not. Because I got to the end playing it again, with the help of a guide, I have to say. Um, and yeah. it was, that was... I was like, did have I seen this before? Or have I not? 
<laughs> so, but I can't. I, I'm saying it's the greatest game as if it's a parasite inside me that's telling me to say that. <laughs> well, it's appropriate. You're also playing Resident Evil Five. Yeah, true, case. right? Um, <laughs> but I mean, just to leave back on that, Resident Evil Five, a game with a lot of flaws, but I also quite like. But here's the thing: Resident Evil Five story is quite interesting. Like, you can draw parallels between Resident Evil 5 and, like, the way pharmaceutical countries treat developing nations. Like, that game has themes. That game has a plot that goes somewhere, that has twists and subversions and has compelling mysteries to solve as you play it. Does this it? This game... Does it? I mean, like, or does it look, rely look, on We're not on here cliche. to critique Resident Evil 5. Okay. We're not here to critique Resident Evil 5. But I would say, from my experience of Resident Evil 5, Resident Evil 5, at the very least, has a plot that has open questions where your pursuit of those answers is part of why you're playing the game, is to get through the story to find out what's going on. I'd say Long Live the Queen asks more questions than Resident Evil 5 does. Well, Long Live the Queen doesn't have a compelling plot in the sense that there is no reason to continue the story because you're not trying to solve a mystery. You're not trying to find out anything. And anything what if you're that trying to work up... out how many people you can marry in the story? What about if you're talking about how many people you can kill and manipulate in the story? Which ones are secretly wizards? Which is all of them, by the way. Uh, <laughs> spoilers. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot basically, of secret. Basically everyone's secret a lumens. secret witch, yeah. <laughs> but there's no, there's no great trick to the magic. There's no, like, sudden reveal that changes the nature of the magic. There's no sudden reveal on a character that changes the nature of your relationship with them outside of, like, you might discover they're a secret like certain thing or they might be like haha i'm from this kingdom and i have these motivations but those motivations are fairly open and out in the air like there's nothing in this game that's an amazing revelation or is a compelling thing that you're trying to sort of discover in the story if you were to read this as a book this is the story of a queen who goes to lessons and has conversations and then goes home over and over and over again She's not trying to find anything out. I mean, if you don't want to to, to find the secret <laughs> levels of this game, you're not going to find them. You, you can... Um, but like, but you, do, do the secret levels unveil a mystery? Do they reveal guessed, something to meet I, the character? I'm not going to spoil it for you because you've asked me... Sure, please to. don't. Yeah. But there were maybe <laughs> a good two times when I gasped because of like, whoa, because I was so into it. And like, that person's a secret lumen? You gotta be kidding me. No, but that's not interesting. That's not... It's not, like, it's not, it's interesting. not like the game... Because the game hasn't gone. There are five secret lumens, and you are one of them, and there's four others, and you have to find out who they are, because if you can find the secret lumens, you'll be able to achieve this, or you'll be able to uncover the truth behind this. Instead, what happens is, you'll talk to a character, and they'll go, yeah, I'm magic as well, what do you want to know? And you'll be you like, want, oh, you cool. want to be told what to do in the game. You want a clear mission objective. You yes, want... I do. I ah. want a reason to keep playing. I want a reason to keep going because there are so many points in this game where the ending could just be, I turn off the game and have no interest in finding out what happens in week 28 because nothing is happening. Well, then you haven't beaten the game, have you? I mean, look, I got to the end. I got to the coronation and survived. Yeah, and I got but... all the epilogues and things. But there's you, nothing, you haven't got all the nothing... epilogues. There's tons of them. Well, okay. okay. There's no way you've bunch... got all the epilogues. Did you did you create the printing press for your people? Did you? Uh, no, I didn't. Epilogues? I didn't take that down. But what I'm getting at is there's nothing. There's no compelling element of this game other than survival. There's no reason to keep playing beyond can I survive. And the plot revelations, certainly the ones that I came across that got me to the end of the game. There's no plot revelation in this game that 
I thought was a compelling or interesting thing about what was going on. Like, we, we talked about the Kraken. The Kraken is a late-game revelation that if you manage to reach it, you have to have a discussion about what are you going to do about the Kraken. And there are two options about what you can do about the Kraken, one of which instantly kills you. Yeah. Um, that's a dilemma that is solved within a minute. That is a problem that goes away immediately. I mean, the problem doesn't go away because the what I love about the Kraken is the Kraken's kind of a reward for doing well in a, in a previous point of the game. So there is yeah. a naval threat at one stage of the game, and if you manage to defeat this naval threat, then the game because the game in, the game might think in the I think in the original way they were writing this says there's a naval threat, and if it reaches you, then in the other weeks you're going to have to deal with a land-based threat. You're going to have to meet a new character who you're going to have to duel with in a certain way. Um, but sure. if you manage to take it down early, if you manage to defeat the naval threat, the Kraken's just kind of this reward. And in typical Long Live the Queen style, your reward for being f- forthright with your decision making and effective in being good at naval strategy or defeating the naval threat, let's say, is that, oh, oh wait, there's a Kraken there, <laughs> which, which you wouldn't <laughs> see otherwise. You wouldn't see it if you were, were stupid and lost the naval battle. Like, it's a, oh here's a kraken and the two eventualities and um, sorry for minor spoilers here we've already said one is instant death sure, by you sure. sacrificing yourself for your land and you get an epilogue that way which is also kind of the point of the game it's both to kind of survive and die in all the different ways so it kind of there's there's a, there's a couple of yeah. layers there but as 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 discussed if you choose instant death kraken your reward is two sentences and then you have to play the whole game again uh, you do, <laughs> which is which is which for me is fun because I've been hooked in. The other way is kind of like a eh, win. So it kind of bankrupts you because if you've managed to to defeat the naval threat, you that's because you've spent quite a lot of money on the various reinforcements that you've needed to do so, and then your your treasury is pretty much broke, or at least mine is because I keep giving up on patronages and like seeing what's going to happen, and then sure. you're kind of like yeah for so. So you're weak. You survived, but you kind of got to go and visit the Kraken every week for the rest of your life, and and it ruins the economy. And oh, is this really a way of winning? And that's your prize for being forthright and beating the naval threat from a completely different source. And that's just that's long live the queen in a nutshell. If <laughs> it's just like you thought you were doing the right thing, no, you're not. Because am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Uh, you can, but you don't need to. Okay, so F you. It's, it's the game that just goes, yeah, yeah. F you. This is what the rule is. You thought you were working it out because this, this is late game. F you, we're done. And, and that's long live the queen. Sure, but I think, I think, again, you're lending the game a certain amount of self-awareness that I didn't pick up on it. So look, there's another, uh, there's a video game based on a live show uh, and it's called The Dark Room. Mm-hmm. And it's by uh, uh, John Robertson. And it's very, it's the it's the same sort of a game as this. It's basically selecting options. However, that game, the entire point is, is that it's insane, it's cruel, and no matter what you do, seemingly you die, and you always die, and you die in amusing and ridiculous and over the top ways. And it's largely based on the way that the performer cruelly and callously cackles at your misfortune. This sounds like my kind of game, Lewis. Oh, you'd love it. Definitely go and see the live show if you get the opportunity when uh, going and seeing things in person isn't poisonous to the world again. Is it touring Bolivia? Uh, I don't believe so. He does tour around the world a bit, so you might be lucky. He's from Australia and he comes up to Britain, so he does get around, as it were. 
Um, although there is a version on Steam that you can get that also has very low requirements and so on. But this is the thing. that That is a game that actively is definitely the game you're talking about Long Live the Queen as being. That is a game with a sense of humour that, that delights in your misery, that delights in making you repeat things and builds in the sense of humour to make that part of your enjoyable experience as well. I feel like the experience you're having with Long Live the Queen is almost to laugh at it rather than with it. It's almost to take joy in the fact that this game is, like, unwinnable. It's a it's a game that you can't possibly get on top of without either making the strategy guide yourself or mm-hmm. looking up the strategy guide someone else has already made. Yeah, so I'd, I'd agree with you that you, I'm not laughing with this game, but I'm not laughing at this game. I'm laughing at myself being laughed at by this game. <laughs> so... Yeah, well, okay. I can I can sort of see what you mean. Like, there's a certain look. I like a practical joke in a game. There's a game I love called The Neverhood, where in order to beat it, you have to click through 100 screens worth of the history of the entire world, <laughs> barely any of which is relevant to the game you're playing. And then once you've done that, you pick up a single item and walk back. So you have to <laughs> click through. 200 screens and it's a great like it's a joke it's a funny joke it's also one of the worst things a game has ever made me do but i appreciate that as a joke i don't know how in on the joke long live the queen is i just feel like long live the queen is a game where you get a two sentence ending go back to the start pick a series of different paths get to another different two sentence ending go back to the start pick another path i don't feel like if this is the intention of the game the writing doesn't back that as a sense of humour for it, or it's not strong enough for me for that to be some a way that I enjoyed it. Yeah, um, perhaps, perhaps it's, perhaps it, it, sorry, it could be deeper. It could definitely be deeper. It's. I think the target audience would be younger than I am uh, <laughs> originally, and I think when it, well, but when it came maybe. out, I think it was all right. Um, as I've said, I've always, I've always been a little bit behind the higher graphical specs of, of, of other PC games going on, and then and that's why I just thought, okay, I'm going to try games with uh, totally different themes. So I think I, I mm. came to Long Live the Queen because somewhere, someone, someone had told me about Papers Please. Have you ever played Papers Please? Yes, I have played Papers Please. In fact, we did. Um Return of the Obra Dinn, which is by the same game developer earlier on this podcast. So I'm a, I'm, I'm a big Lucas Pope fan. I love Papers, Please and Obra Dinn, yeah. So I played Papers, Please and thought, uh, well, so listen to the other episodes of your podcast, of course, to find out more about it. <laughs> and um, I thought the concept was really good. It's like, oh, I'm not just playing... Uh, I, I find Mario to be very devoid of personality. I, I find okay. there's, there's nothing there. It's like, okay, I want something strange. Like, okay, I'm going to be a passport border check that just goes yes or no to a bunch of people crossing the border. And I played it and I loved it. And I thought, okay, what other weird games can I play? And from this, I came to the Stanley Parable, which you must have played because it's your standard oh, character's namesake. Yes, I love the Stanley Parable. Yeah. Um, which came first in your life, Stanley the the entrepreneur or Stanley Parable? Uh, so the Stanley Parable came first, actually. It's quite intri- Just to do a side thing for people listening, I do a stand-up character called Stanley Brooks, um, who I, d- I named because I was desperately trying to think of a name that sounded like an estate agent. And Stanley was in my head because I'd been playing the Stanley Parable, which endlessly repeats the name at you. And then very fortunately, I also got to meet the person, one of the people behind the Stanley Parable. He came to see me do stand-up comedy as Stanley Brooks and I had to sort of sheepishly explain to him after the stand-up yeah the character's partly named after your game 
Um, amazing, amazing. Um, that's that's really good because I'm sure he was flattered because absolutely. Like, yeah. You've you've dedicated a lot of time to your character. You've worked on your craft, and it was named after the Stanley Parable guy, which also has yeah. elements of chaotic humor to it. So, like, the game is laughing at you in in a stronger way in Stanley Parable than mm. Long Live the Queen, but it's the same kind of like. There's a certain amount of nothing really matters. You're sinking time into something weird. You may as like this is weird, and here's what you asked for. Here you go. Have this. Do it. Deal with it. But as you say, the Stanley Parable is distinctly written to that sense of humor. And one of the things that's very impressive about the Stanley Parable is how the arbitrariness of the decisions you make. I mean, for one thing, it doesn't make you repeat quite as much content to get to different endings. So it's it's already, if you play Stanley Parable from start to finish, doing everything you're told, the game is, I think, maybe 20 minutes, maybe even shorter than that. And so every subsequent branching path you come off, you can only repeat a certain amount of content before you're reaching another branching path that will change the outcome. But also the Stanley Parable actively changes its tone based on decisions you make. Like there are funny endings, there are scary endings, there are sad endings, there are endings that are like falsely satisfying and the game is aware that they're falsely satisfying every ending in long live the queen is and then you die for some arbitrary reason there is no shift in tone there is no element of long live the queen whereby you don't end up reading a generic fantasy story you're always reading a generic fantasy story it just maybe you go to a wood rather than a castle and I like that about Long Live the Queen because the to- the tone change the tone change is fun for Stanley Parable, and we should introduce it. It's it's a game where uh, you wake up in an uh, in an office room and there's a narrator saying what you should and shouldn't do, but you have complete control over what Stanley this this anonymous business person does and it gets weird you choose to follow or not follow the narrator and the narrator changes his tone and that is good because it's got some the voice actor is good and and it gives you some weird options and it gets insane yeah but changing the tone to fit the player sort of gives you a bit too much control long live the queen sticks to its guns throughout the entire (laughs) thing and goes you're playing by my rules you're in my world i'm gonna mess around with your like you're playing my game you're giving this so much more credit than it deserves. You're assuming Long Live the Queen is a response to the Stanley Parable, and they're just not in the same wheelhouse. Long Live the Queen is a choose-your-own-adventure game that is based on a generic fantasy story. It is not a subversive game telling you, no, you must go along with my fiction. There is no evidence to suggest that Long Live the Queen is bullying the player by being ruthlessly generic. I think you've got the evidence right in front of you, and it's the guest on your <laughs> podcast. I think you've got, <laughs> there's no stronger evidence than a victim of the whole process that's <laughs> right in front of you giving testimony. I, I can't tell you, you don't love this game, but you can't tell me that the reason you love this game is because the person who made it is a genre-bending genius who is double-bluffing the very concept of subversion. I'm not even sure if I would make the argument that the writers were genius, just as they accidentally created a genius thing. <laughs> So you're sort of putting this more down to the idea that like you've you've discovered like driftwood on a beach and it's been made in such a way that is strikingly beautiful, but no credit can be attributed to the sea that put it there. I think a limited amount of credit to, can be given to the designer that they they've tried to make something go on here, and they have largely been successful. But I'm pretty sure this game was not. F- 
fully mapped out and thought out from beginning to end with all the story. They had one idea of a story and then I think they played it and went, what if this character was marriage material? What if I want to do this with this person? What if this character is a secret lumen? And it's overpopulated with <laughs> silly ideas but completely underdeveloped at the same time and the constant threat of death is always there. So they, I don't think they can take too much credit. The game has just taken on its own parasitic nature, which embeds itself within you, and, and that's kind of the only way of enjoying this game. Just accepting okay. it, just accepting it. Now just I'm sure, you, <laughs> now just as you can't persuade me that I don't enjoy this game, <laughs> which is debatable because it's like, how much can you really enjoy this game? That's a whole other <laughs> no, question. No, that's your defense, you're here as the game's champion. I know, I know. I, I, <laughs> and you have described it as not properly thought out, full of overpopulated and underdeveloped. Yeah, I think yeah. I like it because I've got Stockholm Syndrome. Like this is not, this is not a video game I feel like is here because of its own merit. This is a video game that I feel like you love because you engaged in some sort of bizarre psychotic relationship with it. And you could do it too if you just gave it more time. I think what, whatever it is that you love about this video game that I don't understand, I will never understand. I will never be able to get through this game in a way that on the same level of enjoyment as you. I think partly because I don't, I really don't click with the sense of humor that you get from it. I really cannot find that in this. And maybe that's just because of the way I approach and understand humor and, and art and things. But like, I, I'm not someone who gets a lot of enjoyment out of laughing at things that are well, even then, I'm saying I'm saying laughing at things that are bad, but I don't know to what extent you're laughing at this because you think it's bad. I don't think you think it's bad. I think you do like it, but you acknowledge part of why you like it is because it's kind of ridiculous that the game expects you to do impossible things. Mm -hmm. It's beautifully flawed. And I think I think I can't. I, I just I just know that's like oil and water to me. That's just something I can't necessarily mesh with. Partly because I don't know how intentional it is. I don't know how intentional it is that this game is an impossible task. Why does it have like, to be intentional? It is because what it that's, is. Because that's the difference between competence and incompetence. That's the difference between an author's intent and my ability to enjoy it. If, if I got a stronger sense from the game that it was deliberately messing with me and it was deliberately putting me in positions where I can't win, I can get on board with the sense of humor. But when I play something that I feel like is unintentionally, massively repetitive, impossible to actually understand what I'm meant to be doing, and not particularly satisfying because I don't feel like the subversive sense of humor is part of the writing of the game, I'm just left with a bad video game that's not fun to play, that's rewards are not interesting, and that ultimately all it's doing, like, if I got really good at Long Live the Queen and saw every single ending, I would still not like it. I wonder what happens if you do get all the endings, though. Do you actually feel a sense of completion or is it just kind no. of, are there no. secret endings that I wasn't aware of? Are there some other epilogues that aren't included in the checklist that's very present and forthright with itself? Oh, that'd be you good. Will have, you will have read a 200-page book over the course of a hundred hours because the book doesn't want you to read it. It's a book that hates you for trying to read it. I mean, isn't that a more true reflection of life than going, oh, there's one author that wants you to do the right <laughs> thing? Want... And No! <laughs> 
No, I don't want a true reflection of life from a video game. More importantly, I don't want I don't want to spend my time playing a video game over and over and over again, making ever so slightly different changes to see if I can get a different paragraph of also boring text. Isn't that kind of true of life, though? We go to work every day, we do our repetitive, boring tasks, and we try and get away <laughs> for it. Like, that's much more realistic than one person messing with you deliberately. I don't want a game that deliberately messes with you for the sake of it. I find that boring and repetitive. When Stanley Parable oh. said, okay, look at this chicken and move backwards and forwards with that. Like, no, it's save the babies on a conveyor belt. Sorry, if you haven't yes, played Stanley yeah, Parable, save this, the, is, save this the babies is a on crazy sideways. You just have to play that game for two hours and you have, no, it's more than two hours, right? It's of a just, long time. It's, it's, it's so unreasonable that you are not actually expected to do it and the game is designed around the concept of that you won't. So the joke of that section is that there is an interactive element of repetition that no sane human would ever engage with. And then the game has the tenacity to punish you for not doing it, which is a joke. That's a, that's a joke that makes sense from beginning to end. There is, a, there is a reward if you do manage to successfully complete that game. And it's a slight bit of extra funny dialogue. And then you basically carry on with what you were doing. Which is like the like the way that that joke works. If you did it for that long and there wasn't a payoff, that wouldn't work as a joke because then it's like, oh, it's a dud. The fact that both outcomes actually have a relevant effect is a joke. This game doesn't have a joke in it. The joke of this game is its very existence. The joke of this game is, I can't believe I've put 100 hours into this game because it's impossible and the rewards are unsatisfying. It's a great joke, isn't it? But it's not a joke because I don't think they meant it to be that. I don't why think are the we intention. <laughs> no, they didn't. They didn't mean it. <laughs> they didn't mean it. They didn't mean it at all. But I will take a, a chaotic humor based on something that wasn't actually designed <laughs> by a human. Like, I don't want a fully <laughs> logical situation. It was designed and it was like half-baked idea, but it just works. It, it hits this balance point for me. Look, we're, we're repeating ourselves, which is very appropriate for this game. Mm. Uh, I'm so gonna. Lewis, I'm gonna. Have how, how did I? How did I do? Did I? Did I? I mean, I'm feeling confident. Did I manage Look, to right. completely persuade you that this is the Here's... best game you've been introduced to so far in your in your adventure in the podcast video game world? Here's what I'll give you credit for, Luke. You put up a way <laughs> stronger fight for this game than I thought you would. Here's his hit. Right, look. Question that is the name of the podcast. Is this the best video game I've never played? <laughs> of course it isn't. Absolutely not. Oh, shucks. <laughs> My advice is do not play this video game. And maybe part of the fun of this for you was getting me to play it because you because you know what it is and you're like, I can't believe I'm going to get somebody to play this video game and then and then have the joy, the as you say, the chaotic joy of defending what is objectively barely a video game. I'm kind of in on um, the joke now, aren't I? That's kind of, yeah, I suppose, I suppose. If Long Live the Queen is an ongoing practical joke, it is a successful one. Um, <laughs> what I will give you credit for is, I'm not sure it's the worst game I've played on this podcast. Yes, I will take that. I'm not sure, because what I'll give Long Live the Queen credit for is, despite the fact I don't like what it is, um, and even, frankly, even if it was a good version of what it was trying to be, I probably still wouldn't like it more than most video games. It does at least work. It is at least itself. And like, I can't, I can't deny that the person who made Long Live the Queen is probably proud of it. And, it, and they're happy. The only thing they would probably change about it is to either 
maybe slightly improve the animation and graphics and sound. I don't, but who cares, right? It's a it's a choose your own adventure. The gra the graphics are frankly a boost from what would otherwise just be text. Yep. Um. So, and then uh, compare that to another game I played this podcast. When I played Among Us for this podcast, I was just annoyed the game didn't work, and so I can't be angry at long i can't be more angry at long live the queen than i was at among us because among us largely didn't work for me i just couldn't connect to video games whereas every time i booted up this very tiny video game running on a very generic game maker engine it did work i didn't encounter a bug or a glitch the whole way through it does do that doesn't it like i mean it's simple so you'd you'd be pretty annoyed if the file didn't load because i'm sure yeah that yeah the file is quite small oh my goodness if this game had a single bug or glitch in it, I would be I would be furious with you. I would be so angry if this game had a single bug or glitch in it. If this game didn't work and you're supposed to pay £8 for it, the gall that this game would have. But no, it does work. There's nothing broken about the game. So I like it slightly more than Among Us on that basis. Get in. I'll take it. So... Thanks for coming on, Luke. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. I will never take a game recommendation from you again. Don't blame I me. Hope, I hope you had a good time. Yeah, I did. Thanks for having me on. So that was Luke Malkin. And I've got to say, I've had people on this podcast who I thought put up good fights for good video games and who really took on the criticism that I was levelling at the games and came up with very good reasons to either you know, rethink that criticism or disregard certain types of criticism. But Luke absolutely stormed. He came on with a game that I thought was objectively the worst video game I had ever played. And by the end of it, I had to concede that it actually wasn't. And that at the very least, it, was, it wasn't even the worst video game I played for this podcast. Even though the second we stopped recording, I went, no, of course it is. Of course it's the worst game I've played for this podcast. But you know what? I've got to give Luke credit. He put up an incredible argument for this game and I had an absolute joy uh, having that discussion with him. I've never felt more, more thoroughly questioned and thoroughly interrogated on this podcast than I have with Luke. Um, if you like listening to Luke's voice, uh, he does a podcast called Language Connections, which you can find on all of the podcast thing, or you know, all of the podcast, the iTunes podcast, the Google podcast thing. You can type in, I would like a podcast and I would like it to be the Language Connections podcast and Google will oblige you. That's how the world works now. We, we just ask Google to find us things and then it does. So that's quite nice, isn't it? Uh, you can hear him doing that podcast. It's, it's more to do with um, learning languages and learning English in situations where English is useful uh, in foreign countries. Uh, so it might be of interest to you. There might be something that you're into. Otherwise, it was an absolute joy to have him on, and I honestly cannot believe how well he did with that game. When I come round to doing a ranking on this season, I've got to re-listen to this episode before I do it, because he made such a strong argument. Hey, you, the person listening to this podcast, why not go on to the sites and do the reviews? We've got a Twitter now. It's the best video game you've never played, or at the best video gap for, because now on Twitter you can't choose your at handle, it seems. Uh, you can also review us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. You can review us on, uh, we're on iHeartRadio. We're on uh, Podcast Addict. Where have you got this podcast? Take a little look. Is there somewhere you can put a little star rating? Tap the little five star icon. Done us a, done us a solid, done us a helpful one. Uh, otherwise, I hope you're having a good time. Stay safe. We agreed stay safe was all right, didn't we? I can say stay safe. 
Stay safe, everyone.